you have a Bible, grab it. It's your last day. I'm making you go to Exodus 34 to start the service, at least until we decide to do that again. But Exodus 34, if you have a Bible. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard the story of the little island called Tana in the South Pacific. Little island called Tana. It's actually known for a couple of really cool things. The first one is it's the, uh, the place with the most accessible volcano. So if you're into some danger, you want to you wanna roast some marshmallows, I don't know. Like This place is the most accessible active volcano in the world. Um, the second thing they're known for is their worship. There's a little uh, village on this small island of Tana that is known for their worship of John from. And if you've never heard of this before, um, it's just fascinating because back in the 1940s, um, a GI stumbled into the village in the South Pacific, stumbles into the village. They've never seen a white man before, an American. He came bearing a whole bunch of interesting technology, compass and a you know, metal this and a canteen and a, you know, he just had all this stuff they'd never seen before. And within a few short days, they started to worship John from America. They call him John from. And they start worshiping John from. And John, you know, he kind of gets into it a little bit. He's like, he's kind of cool with it. But he, and eventually he has to leave. He, I don't know how the whole story works. I mean, we really don't know who this actual John was, but uh, we don't know how he got off the island. We don't, we don't know any of it. All we know is that this tribe of people to this day worships John from. And they believe John from will come back with cargo for them. He promised them all these trinkets that he had, Right? Interestingly enough, like some sociologists went to the island and they, they spent time with the people who worship John from. And some of their worship has Beach Boy songs. <laughs> right, they learn Beach Boy songs from John from. Um, they, and they, they, they were there. Somehow in the exchange of American culture and people who have made it there, they've just picked up all these songs and they've begun to incorporate these into their life. And I thought it was just a great story to end our series on. Because remember when we started this series, we started talking about how uh, what you think about when you think about God has, has, this is the most important thing about you, has everything to do with your life and how you live it. So if you think God is um, not involved or doesn't really care or is some sort of a uh, he just kind of started the cosmic thing going and then just kind of backed away. And, and then, you, then you probably feel like you're just free to do whatever you want to do. If you think God is mean and, and kind of capricious and um, ready to zap you uh, when you screw up, then, then you probably live your life in a certain way that patterns that belief in God. And so for the last number of weeks, we've been diving into this passage, Exodus 34, because this is the first time that God fully reveals his name to Moses and therefore to the people. And it's this beautiful story of Moses being hidden in the cleft of a rock and God passes by Moses and uh, reveals who he is. 
And it goes like this. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, the compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, if you were here last week, we kind of dove into that last part, and I'm not going to go all into that again, but just suffice it to say that it's probably not exactly how you read it. And, and you can go back on the podcast and listen to these and kind of catch up, because what we did is we took one phrase at a time, and we unpacked who God says God is, who God reveals his name. And we did this, um, we've done this really over the last six weeks. This is the seventh week. And what this really has been for us is a journey into what Jewish culture calls the midot, which is the 13 attributes of God. And the, the, the midot is kind of a, a, a layer upon layer of who God is. In fact, last week when we talked about to the third and fourth um, is actually an attribute of God. It's actually the 12th attribute of God in the, in the Jewish understanding. And the 13th attribute of God actually comes to today. Because as we wrap the series up, there's the response of Moses. In verse 8, it goes like this. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation and in all the world. The people who live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Then he says this, Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And these are all tribal clans that worship Baal. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. So that same word is covenant. And before, God says, I've made a covenant with you. And then he says, be careful not to make a covenant with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare to you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Now that is the 13th attribute. Jealous. That one of God's attributes is he is jealous. Now, if you have a hard time with that word, it's probably because in our thinking and in our terminology, the word jealous means something like some insecure boyfriend, you know, who's always like stealing his girlfriend's phone to see who she's talking to. That's not the kind of jealous that God is. In fact, if you were to actually translate this, it's this idea of of God is, is fighting for his bride. 
And that's the name of God. And, it, and the name of God is more than just a label or a moniker. It's his identity. It's his reputation. Okay? And so in Hebrew, that actual phrase in verse 14 can be translated, Yahweh is jealous for his name. Now that's a really powerful statement. That Yahweh is very jealous for his name, that he's very intentional about what his name means and who he is, because his name is not just, you know, like my name is Ryan. It's not that. It's not just his moniker. It's actually his identity, who he is, from the, from the core of who God is. God is jealous for who he is and what his name is. Check this out in De- Deuteronomy 28. It says this. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in this city and blessed in the country. Okay? Not in the suburbs. Just in the city. or The, <laughs> the fruit of your womb will be blessed. And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Some of you came here today and you had a real problem. You have a real problem with your kneading trough. Never mind. (laughs) You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction. That's where they got the band name. And they will flee from you in seven. Okay? I'm trying to do the jokes. Some of you, trying, Jess. Okay. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Now, Now, wouldn't this be great? I mean, doesn't this sound good? Doesn't it sound like he hasn't really missed anything? He hasn't missed uh, uh, crops and livestock and family and he hasn't missed anything. So it's a bunch of blessings and curses of obedience to the covenant. It's kind of like, this is kind of how this is going to go. This is, the, this is the positive side. If you, if you follow me and you stay in covenant relationship with me, this is how it's going to go. But listen to verse 10. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. So the point behind all of this is God's name. The point behind the people of Israel from all the way back when Abraham had a covenant with God and God said, listen, I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless others. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. This idea that that God's name was going to carry through the people of Israel. Okay, And, And this is how God's reputation spreads through the people of Israel. Does that make sense? And so... What we have here is this idea of called by the name of God, called by the name of Yahweh. A guy named Chris Wright, who's like a phenomenal Old Testament scholar, he wrote this. He says, the expression called by the name of denotes ownership and intimate relationship. 
In ordinary use, it expresses the longing of anxious women to belong to a husband, that's in Isaiah, or the close, authenticating relationship of a prophet to his God, and that's in Jeremiah. So when God says, you called by the name of God, it actually means that there's ownership there over us, that God actually has this beautiful ownership over us, and because of that, we actually bear God's name. Does that make sense? So, to be called by the name of Yahweh is to be locked into a relationship with Yahweh. So we see this a couple places. In 2 Chronicles, we see this, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It's just this beautiful relationship of being in Yahweh. This is what it looks like, okay? Isaiah 43, 5. Do, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. So this idea that like, no matter how far away you, fa- you feel you are from God, that he will bring you back, that he has this ownership and he's at this pull in your life. Check this out, Amos 9. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will re and will rebuild it as it used to be. This idea that God is continuing on this journey with them. So that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do, who will do these things. You know, it's interesting. Um, it looks to be that there's other nations that bear God's name. I mean, when you throw an Edom there, if you're much into the Old Testament, Edom... It's an interesting relationship with Israel. I'm not going to get into that today, but there is a lot happening in this verse. A lot that actually shoots ahead to the New Testament. And Paul, he uses some of this language when he talks about Jews and Gentiles. When he talks about how God, that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentile. But raise your hand if you're, if you're, not, if you're non-Jewish. Any, any non-Jewish people in here? Yeah, good for you, right? Me too. Straight up, not even close to Jewish. I, 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 I think that it's working then. I think that this idea of God using, uh, like spreading his fame and spreading his name all throughout the world, and there's, there's so many of us who are, who are not Jewish people, I think it's, I think it's working. Check this out, though. It, it's really what is amazing here. And what it comes down to, really, with the people of Israel, it's one of two things. Either you carry the name or you profane the name. It it really comes down to those two things, right? And so as we wrap up this series, and we've talked every single week about, okay, what are the implications of of following a God who's compassionate and gracious? Well, we are compassionate and gracious, right? Right? And what are the implications of following a God who's abounding in love and faithfulness and slow to anger and forgiving and on and on and on? It's that you and I, if we're called by his name, that we actually bear that in our lives too. Check this out in Exodus 9, 19, sorry. It says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. This is before he reveals his name, okay? Okay. 
and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he talks about being a treasured possession, right? Like that you are like so precious to me. And then he talks about two things, a priest, which really what a priest was in the Old Testament was a representative, okay? A representative representing God to the people and then in turn, representing the people to God, okay? The second thing is that you are to be a holy nation, and that word holy is totally out of vogue, right, in our day and age. Like, when you start throwing around the word holy, people are gonna think you're a weirdo. But the authors, I mean, what this means is set apart. The first time it's ever used is to set apart one specific day out of the week and make it holy. That happens in Genesis, And so this idea that you are a set-apart, treasured possession and you are a representative of God is what the language is getting at. And so when we get into some cool passages like Leviticus, you ready for Leviticus? I know you're all reading it this morning. Check this out. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, okay, millennials, children, listen, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh Elohim. Remember that from a few weeks ago. Do not turn to idols and make metal gods for yourselves. I am Yahweh Elohim. Elohim. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edge of your field to gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am Yahweh Elohim. Evidently, representing God means something about our economics. Right? That's what that means. Then he goes on to say, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name. We'll get into that here in a second. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Um, This is about justice. All this. This is about righteousness, right relationships with people, right relationships with your family and your friends and your workers and, and your children and yourself and God and creation, okay? That's all of this. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. Uh, do not pervert justice. Do not go, go about spreading slander. Don't do these things. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. I mean, these are all things that God's saying. Why? Because Yahweh is God. And we are his people. See, holiness is not just what you don't do. It's what you do. Does that make sense? See, a lot of times we've had this idea in our lives that, oh, I gotta be holy means I gotta stop doing bad things. But there's all these things that are actually good things that we need to be doing, right things that we need to be doing, seeking justice, seeking right relationships with people, seeking to be more generous 
to fixing things that are busted, to uh, fixing relationships. See, it, Jesus actually, it, it says this in, in Matthew 5, he, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And it's interesting that word is actually means to be fully complete and fully mature, to be, to be right. And ultimately what we're getting at is this. This is a theology of imitation. That God is actually wanting us to mirror him, to reflect who he is, to actually show the world what he is like. It's the same charge the Israelites has had is the same charge we have as the church. That's why we exist, okay? That's why we're here, to show the world what God is like. Everywhere you go, in the city, in your neighborhood, in the coffee shop, in the gym, at the park, shooting up fireworks, you represent God. That's, that's your MO, that's who you are. And so if you believe that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving, that's who you are called to be. That's who I'm called to be. That's who we are called to be. We are the people of God, called by the name of God, and known by the name of God. And we thought it was just accept Jesus in my heart and get our ticket to heaven, right? Is that what you thought it was? Because it's way more than that. It's like this beautiful story we get to live out with others. But there's option B too. Option B is this, profane the name. I mean, that's, that's always an option, right? We can bear the name of God or we can profane the name of God. This comes out of Exodus 20. You guys familiar with something called the Ten Commandments? Anybody? Anybody familiar with that? Like two of you. The Ten Commandments was actually written, um, and as it was written, it was kind of formed to look like an ancient Near East wedding ceremony. It's like this betrothal between God and his people. Okay? And so, commandment number three is verse seven. And it goes like this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You know, we thought it was just swearing. You know, don't cuss. Um, which is, you know, that's important. That's, that's a big deal. But this is bigger than that. This says, you, sh you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It actually means... Do not raise up the name of God for no good. That throws a different curveball in it, doesn't it? The basic idea is perjury. The basic idea is be careful that you do not raise up my name for no good, that you, that you don't use my name for ill. I have a lot of conversations with people and, and sometimes, and I don't want you to freak out and wonder if you've said this to me before, but um, a lot of times people will say things, God told me. This is always a very dangerous phrase to use, especially around me, because I don't believe you. And I don't want to be a jerk. And I don't, it's not that I don't believe in like the prophetic and, and that God really does speak to us because he does. But about half the time, it seems like people use God told me. It's usually for weird things. 
uh, or things that just, you know, that doesn't make sense. But if you want to use that card, it's like the Uno draw four, you know, wild card, you know, like God told me, can't do anything about it because God told me. And if God told me, you can't, you know what I mean? Like, so, so if you're going to use that one around me, just you're going to get some pushback, okay? I had, a, I had a guy tell me once, honestly tell me once, that God told him that he should divorce his wife. And um, this is what I would call taking the Lord's name in vain. This is what I would call using God's name, misrepresenting what God is like in the world. I believe, you know, like I said, I believe in the prophetic. I believe in people actually having experience with God, that God speaks to them. I'm not discounting that. I'm saying sometimes, though, we use the God card for us. From Exodus 21 all the way to Jesus, this is the case. And so here's a little taste of this. The first part of the exile, uh, the people of Israel are thrown into exile, and and the the writer of Ezekiel, he, he writes, here's why you are in exile. Okay, here's why you got sent to a giant national timeout. Okay, and you're staring at the wall and you don't have TV. Okay, this is, this is why you got sent into exile. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me. He said, son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. And their two chief sins of Israel were injustice in idolatry, okay? Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So anyhow, uh, so I poured out my wrath. <laughs> the Bible is just full of, okay. So I pulled out my, poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct. Remember that word judge is to make things right, okay? I, I, I made things right to them according to, according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they what? profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had, he said, God says, I, have concern, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but listen, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now, God's desire is to show the nations what he is like. And a lot of times we, we didn't, we've misunderstood why Israel was in exile and why God punished Israel. It's because of God's name. It's because God's name was being drugged through the mud by the way the people of Israel were living and treating people and the injustice. Amos talks about this in the book of Amos. Listen, you are, you are, you are robbing people. 
You are, you are enslaving people. You are, you are doing things that are even worse than your quote-unquote enemies. And this is a serious issue. And my question is, are we any different? I'm always going to ask you hard questions. Remember the story a couple of years ago, there's a female pastor who it, uh, it got out on Twitter and she had written on the receipt that she had just eaten a dinner or a lunch at and she was at a restaurant and she wrote on the receipt, I don't even get, I, I don't give you 18% tip because I, I only give God 10%. And so she gave zero tip. And if you remember this, and then the, the, they took a picture of it, like it went viral. And I'm like, oh, that's profaning the name, right? Like when we do, we, let's, let me just say this. We have a kind of a bad reputation right now. I mean, maybe, I don't know. What would you think? Kind of, yeah? A couple nods here and there. I mean, a few years ago, the book Unchristian came out. I don't know if you guys have heard of this book. It was a three-year-long research study onto the uh, beliefs of, especially like the 18 to 30 crowd on what Christians were and what they were like. Um, and it's pretty brutal. I mean, let's just say that. I mean, there wasn't not, there really wasn't like a, oh, well, that's good news. Um, it was pretty bad news, like all the way through it. And it was a scathing indictment to what the church had become and kind of how people perceive people who follow Jesus. Now, and I get there's some things get inflated. I mean, the media, it's not like, like, it's not like um, you know, all the scandals that have happened. I mean, it's not like we've helped ourselves. But there's a quote here from, from the book. It's kind of one of the, the pieces of the research they, they kind of came into. It's kind of a summary. And it says, in our national surveys we found the following negative perceptions embraced by a majority of young adults. That Christians are old-fashioned, too involved in politics, out of touch with reality, insensitive to others, boring, that's a couple of you, not accepting of our faiths, and confusing, that's me. And when they think of the Christian's of the Christian's faith, these are the, of the Christian faith, these are the images that come to mind. This is what a new generation really thinks about Christianity. And that is why their book was called Unchristian, right? Now, it, it, the book actually has some good news in it too. I mean, the, the, the research is heavy and it hits you like a two by four. But the reason why they wrote it is for a wake-up call. And I really believe it was a God-inspired wake-up call. Because there, if, if, if in, in basically a generation, the negative press of Christianity can go this quickly in this direction, I believe in a generation it can change. And it's not going to change because we get louder and we get more involved with politics and we, you know get more insensitive and get more, you know, it's going to change because we start doing things that are in God's name. If God is compassionate and gracious, I mean, this is profaned God's name. So what if we began to live as if God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, that we begin to love people without condition? 
no matter what. That we, that we dive into issues of, of homelessness and, and kids without parents and tutoring and, and our generosity begins to speak of who we are as a people. Like what if we were known for Exodus 34, right? What if we actually were a people that bear God's name and not profaned it? So the question for us is, do, do, you, do you rep God's name well? Do we as a community rep God's name well? Or do we profane the name? And if you're like me, the answer is, I'm probably a pretty good sized mixed bag on that. I'm just being honest. There's moments where I'm like, yep, repped it. <laughs> but just that in and of itself is profaning God's name. But. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Like, like there are times where I'm just like, man, I just missed it on that one. It's usually, like I said, it's usually when I'm in Costco. But the reality is, is like, I mean, like, like I am a mixed bag when it comes to this. And you are too. And that's why we need each other. This was a community thing. It's always meant to be a community thing. Look at what Jesus says in John 14. This is, we're going to end with this. And this is just blows my mind because I'm a mixed bag. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, this is a powerful verse to end this series on. Because if God reveals his name, and then he gives all of this, this strategy in bearing his name to people like me and you, and he leaves us with this charge that says you're going to do even greater things. And he, I, I really believe he talks about as a community, as an individual, that, that we actually, as a community, are like a force to be reckoned with. Not a, not a force that's going to intimidate and push our way on people, but a force of compassion and graciousness and slow to anger and abounding love and all that stuff. And he says, you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's powerful. I mean, you just see there, like hit that, like to hit your life with that implication that says Yahweh is, this is Yahweh in flesh and blood. This is Jesus. And Jesus is not a mixed bag at all. And he's saying greater things are coming because I trust you to carry my name. And why does he trust us to live as priests and be holy and set apart because he believes in you. He believes in you because he believes in the spirit of God living in you. Right? Romans 8, you know, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And yeah, we struggle with being a mixed bag, but the reality is we're called to bear the name. Imagine if we could just begin to turn the tide here on what people think about when they think about God.
because of how you live, because of how you love, because of how you spend, because of how you play and work and relate and forgive and trust and sacrifice, all those things. So my charge for us today as we come to the communion table is to be a people who bear the name. And where in your life are you not bearing the name? Where in your life are you profaning the name? Where in your life are your friends looking at you going, wait, dude, I thought you were a Christian. Wait, I thought you were different. You're just like us. Why would I want what you have when you just go to church on Sunday and feel guilty about it? Right? You bear the name.